Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. We are so glad to have you in God's house today. I woke up this morning feeling like it was uh, Christmas morning. It's been a few weeks since I've been in this pulpit, and I've missed uh, this and missed you. Uh, even though I'm super, super thankful for what's been happening around here over the last month. If you uh, are aware, we have been working for the last year uh, or so as a senior leadership team on clarifying our five core commitments. We've been partnering with our wider staff, our vestry on these things, and it felt really important to us because it was such a shared work over the last month to have our team. And so I'm just so thankful for Brad and for Nate and for Adrian preaching these last three weeks because truly what God has clarified to us about our purpose has been such a beautiful team discernment. And so I'm just so thankful for, for the team and I'm thankful for where we are and what all that God is doing. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 25. We're going to read the parable, the talents, and then we're just going to jump in and see uh, what the Lord has to say to us today. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forth, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forth, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forth saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from those but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear Jesus today. We pray that you would help us to hear what he is saying to us and also what he's not saying to us. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and space to think about our lives, to think about what you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Five core commitments over the last five weeks, we've been uh, not only unpacking these five core commitments here by using a biblical text like the one we just read today, but we have been spending time from 4.30 until a little bit after six each night, and tonight will be the last of those. I would encourage you to come out uh, Adrian, uh, she, and Nate, and 
myself, we're going to be unpacking uh, what it means to participate in God's kingdom work by using our gifts locally and throughout the world. And I believe that this text actually helps us jump into this idea that we have something to give. We have something that has been entrusted to us. So we're just going to look at the text. Number one, there's an idea here of varying talents. There's this idea that we are gifted uh, in ways that the Lord actually asks us to put those gifts to use. And there's a person who has five and a person who has two and a person who has one. Uh, And I think that it's really important for us to recognize what this means. I want to invite you for the next few moments to expand your understanding of the word talent. Uh, It was a monetary term. We tend to think of talent as like something we're good at. It's both of those things. Plus, I would encourage you over the next 25 minutes or so to think of your time, your treasure, so your, your money, your expertise, and how we would understand your talent, things that you are gifted to do, things that you're good at as being something God wants you to consider and he wants you to put into play. I also want us to think for a few moments, and we will have an opportunity to do this, about the reasons why we don't do that. And God's heart for us to actually take those things, our time, our talent, our treasure, and put them into play. But here, before we start, it's really important. The story here is very clear. Uh, the talent, the, the monetary value in this story that Jesus tells, this, this five, two, and one, those things did not belong to these servants. They belonged to the master. And in the same way that in like uh, Georgian England or Edwardian England, when servants in a home would be responsible for things, the things they were responsible for were not theirs. They belonged to the master. They belonged to their, their boss. Uh, In the same way, our own time, our own talent, our own treasure, it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. That's one of the fundamental things that we as the people of God have to begin to wrestle with. The stuff you're good at, the money you have, the time you have in a Christian space, we understand those things as belonging to our God. And he gives us those gifts for a reason. We get to participate in God's kingdom work with the stuff he's endowed that he's given to us. And that's going to be the focus of what we look at here for the next few moments. Many of us probably wonder, why, why weren't they all given the same, uh, the same thing? Why, why didn't all of them get sort of like, I don't know what you do if you add up like, you know, eight divided by three, you're getting some sort of like egalitarian understanding of talent. And I think that Jesus actually tells this story for a reason. Depending on your personality and your season in life and your capacity You're not gifted identically to the person sitting next to you. There's a sense in which uh, as we think about our time and our talent and our treasure, as we move through the seasons of our life, um, some of those, the bandwidth expands and in other seasons it retracts. And we're not identical to the person sitting next to us. I think that one of the biggest challenges that we have as a human society in the modern Western world is the like poison of comparison We sometimes look at our own gifts that we bring to the world and we minimize it because we look at somebody else and we think, well, they've got something we don't have. Or the thing that's harder to name, we look at someone who seems a bit less than and we feel better about ourselves than we ought to because maybe we've got a little bit more of this, that, or the other. And I believe that comparison and competition are like poison to human flourishing and human shalom. And we live in a world right now that pushes us in that direction like crazy. Social media for many of us is like a competition image management poison. 
Like there's actual research now that says the more we engage in that, the more anxious and depressed we become. Because we feel like we're always being measured and then we do the measuring ourselves without ever really owning the fact that that's what we're doing. The Lord has made you and has given you something to contribute and it doesn't have to look just like it looks in the person sitting next to you. Jesus tells a story, I think, on purpose about our unique capacity to take something and receive something that is not ours and put it into the field of play. Surrendering outcomes to him, but putting it into the field of play. So I want us to sit with these servants for a few moments. I want us to do some hard work and ask some questions around what is it that these people did and what happened when they did what they did. So let's sit with the two servants first. These two servants, the first two, put their master's resources to work. Now, I am a liberal arts person, so I'm not a mathematician, but I think five is more than double two. So one of them gets five of these things, these monetary units, and the other one gets two. And yet they both, because they put what isn't theirs, which they received, they put it into the field of play. They both hear the exact same thing from the master. They hear, well done, good and faithful, and then they are invited to enter into joy. When we learn to open up our hands and receive from God things that are not ours and recognize the value of that thing as it lands in our own souls and we open up our hands and put it out into the world, we open up ourselves to hearing well done, to receiving blessing and to entering into joy. Who among us does not want more joy, to experience shalom as the Jews would understand it, a sense of well-being and joy. These two received the exact same commendation from the master. And that cuts directly against the competitive, ruthless spirit of our age. I actually believe that the kind of competitive analysis that we do that tells us we're less than someone else or we're better than someone else, it actually robs us from being the kinds of people who live our lives open-handed. Tonight, we're going to look at the, uh, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I actually think that that's the best example in the Bible in terms of like a narrative story experience. That little boy takes uh, what he has, a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread, and he puts it into play. He shares it, whether or not it was going to be enough for the need or not. He just kind of, he doesn't hide it. He puts it into play. And that's what these two do. They take what they've been received, and they just put it out there. They put it into play. They put it into the world. And they're blessed and they're affirmed. And I just want to ask you, what has God gifted you with? And you've got to refuse in a moment of thinking about this to think about what the person you're, you're envious of or the person that one-ups you, what they've been gifted with or the, the thing you see on Instagram that makes you feel less than or makes you feel anxious. God wants us to be the kinds of people who recognize that we have been gifted with time and treasure, and talent. We've been gifted with things that are not our own, but gifted for a reason and a purpose. And he wants to do something with who you are and what you've got. And sometimes I think that we overthink it. We, we think of like epic things. You know, Susan Barber is not fixing to quit her job to go be a real Christian pastor. She's doing something at Grady 
Midtown, I'll never be able to not call it Grady High School. I, my kids all went to school at Grady, and I know there's a reason why we changed that name. I get it. For me, it's, it's always Grady. I'll, I'll, I'll make that mistake. But she has been at Midtown for years. She's taught two of our three kids, and she is doing something for God. Using her gifting, her passion for literature, her love for kids. There was a tragedy uh, at Grady a a number of months ago, like a a terrible situation that I won't get into, but it involved a bunch of students and it was really hard. And I think what a gift to have a person like her who loves Jesus and is really good at her job, just tending to kids during a season where they just needed somebody there who was salt and light. What, where's your saltiness? Where, where's the light that God's given you in your job, in your relationships? Um, how has God wired you? And I think sometimes when I think about talents, it's like the stuff God has gifted you, the things you're interested in, your abilities, your, your innate wiring and how your personality works. How does that intersect with the needs around you? That's, I think, the intersection of the place where God wants us to wake up and be curious and say, Lord, what would it look like for me to just put my, my stuff you've given me into play in the world around me? And you don't have to do heroic. I actually think we miss it. It's one of the, the, the demonic things, honestly, about social media and the, the news cycle is that we, we only want to celebrate like epic stuff, like huge philanthropic stuff. What does it mean just to, to, to wake up and use the gifts you've been given in ways that feel maybe to you like routine? or not that impressive. I believe the Lord wants us to be the kinds of people who recognize. This also opens us up to a conversation and an understanding about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, that that we have been gifted and are meant to seek spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit, and that he wants to give us gifts and allow us to be more than we would be on our own. We're going to talk about more about that tonight, and we did in week one of our core commitments class. So how's he wired you? What happens when you enter into joy? What happens when God actually begins to wake you up and bring a sense of shalom and satisfaction? I think it means more influence in your natural surroundings, and it means more peace and well-being because we know that what we have has been put into play. So now let's sit with this servant. One servant buries his master's resources. And there, there are three things about this fella uh, in this story. He's motivated by scarcity, he's afraid, and he's suspicious. I want to name the elephant in the room. A lot of us think um, that you could read this text and say that Jesus is saying, if you don't like do all kinds of good stuff with how you're wired, he's going to send you to hell. Um, that's why I think it was a little bit hard for people to say thanks be to God at the end of this, because it's like weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. So when you read the teachings of Jesus, and specifically the story that's before this one and after it, it, it does give us a sense that, it, that people who fundamentally, profoundly disbelieve in God will be separated from God. They are and they will be. But here's what I want to say to you. Jesus also recognizes in a moment like this that those of us who are struggling to trust but dealing with scarcity, fear, and suspicion and who are concerned about it are being invited to find ourselves in this one servant without being afraid of going to hell. That is not right now 
what Jesus is talking about when he's speaking to those of you who are concerned. I once had a conversation with a guy, I should not laugh, I almost laughed when he told me this. He said, Chris, I, 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 have, we have, to, I have to talk, I have to tell you something. And I said, okay, tell me. And he goes, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. And I said, bro, if you're worried that you've committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Like that doesn't, something like this doesn't happen to us accidentally. And then we're like, oh, gosh, I'm damned. Like I, I didn't even know it was going to happen. Jesus wants you to recognize that you've got a little bit of this rascal in you. I know I do. I struggle with scarcity, fear, and suspicion on an almost daily basis. And yet I belong to Jesus and I'm, I'm a little concerned about it. And he looks at me and he says, this right here, you, is an opportunity to grow and surrender that scarcity so that you can begin to, as he said to the other two, enter into joy and receive blessing. I do believe that those who fundamentally do not acknowledge and do not engage with and do not trust in God, full stop, are disconnected from him and, and will remain so. I also believe when we look at the layers of Jesus's teaching that he wants you, like in the parable of the sower, to recognize you're a bit of mixed ground in your garden. There are some spots in that garden where there's really great soil and then there are some spots that aren't so much. So for those of you who are concerned and feeling an inner tension, Jesus is not saying get busy and try a lot harder. He's saying, I want you to recognize there's some mixture there and I want to heal that mixture. So let's think about that boy in the parable or the story rather, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Do you think that he was the only person who brought food to that picnic? 5,000 people, one poor kid's the only one that brought food? Come on. What did all the grown-ups do? Not enough food for me and y'all. So all the smart people hid their not enough. They hid their scarce resources. They hid because they didn't think they'd have enough for them and somebody else. And one kid was like dumb enough to put his stuff into play. There's something about this that actually isn't inviting us into something heroic. I believe there's a risk around rejecting scarcity, fear, and suspicion that gives us the opportunity to take a step. That's what I think God's inviting you to consider today. What does it look like for you to take your not enough and put it out there in the world? I don't have enough time, I don't have enough love, I don't have enough hope, I don't have enough expertise, I don't have enough money. I mean, you just insert, where's your not enough? And I don't, I don't know, but I, I think I know, if this guy, according to the master, had simply just put the money in the bank, the master would have looked at him and said, okay. But he hid it. And I just know that there are places in me and there are probably places in you where we're prone to hide because we're dominated by scarcity and fear. We're owned by a sense of suspicion. There were times in my life where I believed that God was real, but I wasn't sure that he was good. And honestly, I think that's worse than not believing that he's real. Like if you think he's real and you're like, but I don't know if he's good. 
It's a terrible place to be. It's a terrifying place to be. So what would it look like for us to take a step? What would it look like for us to recognize that Jesus is telling us a story that implies that even if we feel like we only have one unit of something, that if we'll take that not enough and put it out there in the world, he's going to do something with it. It may not look as awesome as the person who went from five to ten. But it'll look like it's supposed to look. One of my heroes, John Wimber, he was the founder of the vineyard. He's dead. He's with Jesus in heaven. He once said, um, if you just take a nap or raise the dead, as long as you do what God's calling you to do, the pay is exactly the same. Maybe the Lord's not looking for something impressive from you. Or let me reframe it. Maybe you just like pushing through fear reaching out to someone and saying, I've been thinking about you. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that is the impressive thing he's asking you to do. Maybe he's not asking you to start a philanthropic organization. I mean, if you can, go for it. But maybe he's asking you to do something that's like really simple. Every one of you gets to play. Every one of us that wants to play gets to play. That's the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God doesn't have starters and bench warmers. It doesn't have people who get rejected from the team because they can't jump or they can't do the equivalent of, you know, shoot the jump shot in your own life or career. God wants you to be the kind of person who knows you got something to bring that isn't yours. He gave it to you and he just wants you to put it out there and to play with it. Man, what would the world look like if we were all playing? Like, what would the world look like if we all just got over our scarcity, our fear, our cynicism, and we just started to, like, put, put stuff out there? Texting a friend, a kind answer turning away wrath, going the extra mile. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for you. But I know the world would just be turned upside down if we began to be the kinds of people who rejected scarcity fear and suspicion one little step at a time. God's invited you to participate in his kingdom. We're going to think about this tonight. We're going to get more practical. We're going to understand some things tonight that I think are going to really help us to take real steps. But first, I just want to inspire you. I want to move you to believe you've got something gifted to you by God that you may not even think of as a gift. And I'm just going to tell you, the world would just be messed up if you all quit your jobs and tried to be missionaries or professional Christians. Like the Lord doesn't, the world doesn't need a ton more professional Christians. Um, when I get into a conversation with people, it gets weird in a hurry, you know, because I'm a pastor and it changes everything. You don't have to do that. You can just engage a salt and light. You can be Susan Barber in your world, in your sphere of influence, because every one of you has one. What would happen if you took your not enough and you put it out there? Two questions I want us to consider. Are there places in our lives, or we'll say it maybe as a statement, reflect on the places in your life that are hindered by scarcity and a fear of failure. And connected to that, let's reflect on places in our lives where we struggle to trust God's character and his motives toward us. The big work of my life in the last couple of years is learning how to sit with things like this that I don't want to sit with because they make me feel uncomfortable. They make me feel uh, inadequate or like I've messed up. 
But I believe that being more present and more real will help us grow. So we're going to spend a couple of minutes. I would encourage you to take your phone out and take pictures of these questions because um, just to give you a hint, it's probably going to take you more than two minutes to get to the bottom of what, what's going on here. So let's be still for a couple of minutes. And then we're going to come to the communion table. But I really want you to think about why you're tempted to hide and bury. Why you're like that guy at the end of the story. And what Jesus might want to do about it. So let's be still for a few moments. <clears throat> 